0: This is Season 1, Episode 5 of Mastering the RPG, a tabletop RPG podcast all about upping your game. The episode tonight, pitfalls with pets and companions in role-playing games. (gasps) Or those goddamn familiars. Welcome to Mastering the RPG. Like I said, a tabletop RPG podcast focusing on maximizing your game. Doesn't matter if you're a game master, doesn't matter if you're a player. We got advice, ideas, cool stuff, and some pretty strong opinions. And I think you've heard that if you've been listening before. And but we hope you get some out of it. Um, I'm Carl with my co-host Eric and James. And you can find information about us at masteringtheRPG.com. And if you've got questions, feedback, email, or you want us to adjudicate a question, an argument, whatever, um, you can contact us at Game Master at masteringtherpg.com. And those are both all one word. Um, So let's get right into it, uh, gentlemen. Good evening, Eric and James. How are you doing? I'm doing all right.
1: Eric's uh, audio just dropped out. I'm going well. Hi, I'm James. Uh, and, uh, yeah, going well. All right. I surprised him. My fault. Okay. Um,
0: so today we're going to start with Eric's got something pretty cool. A cool, cool stuff. Cool stuff. Cool, Come on, go, cool stuff. Cool stuff. Cool stuff. Cool stuff. Yeah. We have cool stuff found. Do you copy? Cool stuff found. Over. Yeah. Um, So, Eric,
2: take it away. What did you find? All right. Well, uh, this week, this episode, I should say, um, I'm bringing you guys a really cool, casual kind of party-ish game called Noisy Person's Card, or I think it's, uh, yeah, Noisy Person Cards, or, or NPC, funny NPC. enough, by uh, James D'Amato, who you guys might, who people might know mm. out there, the guy who does uh, one-shot podcasts, the campaign podcast, really, really cool improviser and gamer. He also wrote, wr- written a bunch of books. Um, but this was something that I kick-started way back, I don't even remember how long ago this was, I think it was 2014 or something? Um, and I don't actually have the print version, I got the kind of PDF cut yourself the cards version of it, which I did. Um, but yeah, it's a really cool casual party game. That's the target audience is really for role players, but it it can be fun for a lot of people. Anybody who's interested in improv or acting, um, The the basic of the game is just to make silly voices and to kind of expand what kind of voices you could make. It's to kind of give you inspiration and stretch what you normally do. You know, we always get kind of stuck in the ruts of these are my kind of base voices, and this really kind of expands that. Uh, So very basically, there's two types of cards in the game. Um, One is a character card, which in the version that I have is either a picture with a description under it of a character or just a a description, Um, something like, you know, a knoll or something, or a pirate queen. Uh, there's also stuff like kobolds, grand vizier. There's a sex demon, <laughs> uh, beaver. Now this is all. This is an all uh, ages family game, or I should say like <coughs> seven, twelve plus, and I'll, I'll explain why. Um, now the 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 newer printed versions that I looked up, um, I think they're just pictures. I don't think there's any more descriptions on them. Uh, but yeah, there's character cards, and then there's phrase cards. And the phrase cards have a phrase on them uh, that something like like a quote of a character might say, um, and then at the bottom of those kind of inverse is a little descriptor, which I'll explain about. Um, and the phrases are pretty fun. They're pretty. They're, the whole thing is pretty um, tongue in cheek. I mean, we have stuff like I'll read some examples here. Um, I'm going to toss this coin in the air. When it hits the ground, you're going to be dead or out of my sight. Choose wise, wisely. Or uh, I'm a kleptomancer. I talk to stolen objects, then return them to their original owners. So it's just kind of all over the... the. Uh, here's another one. What if the missiles really aren't magic? So all over the place, tongue-in-cheek, there's a ton of uh, um, jokes. There's a ton of... Um, I'm spacing out now. What's, what's the lowest form of humor? Uh, puns, sorry. Uh, Pun-type things. A lot of pickup lines. Um, the cool <laughs> thing about this is to make it all ages a bunch of them have a little skull icon on the bottom, like a funny little skull icon, and you can just take those out, and then it's kind of more family-friendly. But yeah, there's those two types of cards, and everybody draws a hand of those phrase cards, and then one person starts as the judge, and they pick a character card, and that's the character that everybody's going to have to make a voice for. Um, Then the judge will then take one of the the, um, descriptors, That he has so on the phrase cards, the descriptor kind of like you know saucy could be one. Uh, An example in the in the book is dreamy. So if the character was a kobold that you had, you would then take the card; it would become (laughs) a dreamy kobold. And then everybody around the table, all the players, would then pick one of their phrases and then have to speak in that uh, speak that phrase in whatever they think a dreamy kobold would sound like. Oh wow! Um, And then the judge then then can decide who's the winner. Now it gets a little bit crazier here: is that if um uh th- so that kind of upping the ante like i said uh that that's a fra- that's a game mode where the judge adds that descriptor like i said so y- it can just be a character but he can add one of those descriptors um but if the judge can't decide or thinks two people or three people need to go more at it they can have a duel, which everybody who's in the duel then gets to also up the ante for themselves and add another descriptor just to kind of make it even more. So that dreamy kobold could be, could become an equine dreamy kobold or a, um, uh, a drunk dreamy kobold. So there's all these crazy ones. And then it can just keep... Adding on. And if you wanted to pass around, you just put in a card and add another descriptor. So you can kind of get crazy and then kind of really stretch it. So even though you gave your, you know, the voice for one of the characters, adding on the descriptor kind of adds a new element and will kind of challenge you in that way. And then basically, once the judge decides, okay, that person's won, they get all the cards. Um, And then whoever has the most cards at the end of a round... Uh, wins or the end of a turn or whatever you decide they, they, the game is pretty casual they kind of say you know do it when everybody has has gone or do it when you run out of phrases or do it when the beer runs out it's you know it's this is not meant to be like a winner so, so it's like, um, apples apples exactly like apples to apples for exactly like apples to apples and it kind of plays also like cards for humanity sort of too oh sure um yep. but again it's 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 not meant to be there's not you know in the way where I bring up Cards of Humanity, where it kind of has that same thing where somebody chooses a card and then it's very subjective. Um, you know, it's it's that similar thing. I I think with this game, where I I've played it a co- only a couple times, but it was really fun when I did. It did help me, you know, get more creative with voices. It's hard to find a group that will be into it. And you really have to have the right group for this because, you know, people, you know, compared to Apples and Apples or Cards Against Humanity, these are people that are being creative and then you're judging them kind of based on that. So you definitely have to have a good group where people are, you know, more open to that and not being so offended maybe by somebody saying, oh, this person did a better job or whatever. I mean, because it's not really about that. The the, uh, the job is that you're doing a silly voice, right? Um, There can be definitely a little bit – the descriptors can get too crazy. I think putting a limit on it, at least what I found, was a good idea. But overall, I think it's a really, really, really – Fun and really, really good way to like increase your role playing because, you know, even people who are into role playing like all me and my lovely host here, um, you know, it's sometimes good to still mix it up because we get stuck in the same. Archetypes, the same characters, right? Uh, the same voices. I mean, my my cobalt voice is my cobalt voice, generally. It's almost um, like we did
0: a uh, podcast earlier, exactly, um, about this exactly. exact topic. So,
2: so yeah, it, it's it's really cool for that. Now, it's a little bit hard to find. You can still buy it online, the print version. Um, uh, I think it's like fifteen bucks or something. So def- definitely worth it, I think. Um, also, if you have tabletop simulators, somebody did make a module for it that I think still works. So you know cool. right there you can just play online with people doing tabletop simulators. So yeah any questions from you guys or comments? adding
1: spice to your Zoom drinking session do that while you're <laughs> playing tabletop.
2: Yes, I think I think drinking also yeah that adds another element to it for sure. It loosens up a lot. Sounds of like a
1: great warm-up exercise for a, yeah. for a, if you're a heavily role playing group, if you're into it already, good way to get those creative juices going and the vocal cords kind of kind of running. Sounds great. Yeah,
2: or even if you're not a heavy role playing group, it might be a good way to Hmm. encourage kind of it to begin. Go into those places, yeah. So, yeah, really cool. Encourage people to check it out.
0: Yeah, I I'm I'm pretty impressed at uh at what it could bring. I, and I was joking when I said it was apples apples for voice acting. I think it's more than that is, you know, <laughs> probably more more than that, but uh, you know, uh, it, it's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I, I think we should um not on the podcast, but I think we should try it with our group, Eric, and just yeah. have a good time. We just try it out. If or it's a good, we can do it as a bonus.
2: Yeah. We can have a Patreon bonus or something. We, we can all do it. Maybe, who knows? Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I'll have a go. For sure.
0: Yeah, okay. <laughs> ah, sounds good. All right, look at that. All right, so that is a really good, um, cool thing found that Eric found. And then uh, now we'll go on to the main topic
2: with <laughs>
0: All right, we're here with the main topic, and I'm going to throw this over to James, who has the strong opinion on familiars, but we'll let him go ahead and uh, talk about that.
1: (laughs) Goddamn familiars. No, um, (laughs) look, it's a strong topic. I do have some strong opinions on this one, but um, I thought it would be a good little uh, time to have a bit of a chat and a bit of a discussion about this phenomena that is happening in role-playing games, and I've got to say it's a phenomena that... Uh, that's been around for a long time, but probably nuanced and changed, uh, particularly in 5th edition. But I'm seeing a pop up in a lot of role playing games now. And that is this concept of the player controlled non player character. Most commonly in dungeons and dragons fifth edition the familiar but it can often be an animal companion for a ranger or it could be a clockwork companion for an artificer or it could be if we're talking something like call of cthulhu it could be a um, a retainer like a a butler or a driver or a, or a or a you know kind of handy person that you have alongside them uh it's about this kind of explosion of the use of these how you can use them tips and tricks on on how they're effective what's some pitfalls about having these player controlled uh non-player characters and then what happens if it all goes horribly wrong in terms of so many that you can barely manage them i've had some experiences in in that one i guess so uh in a lot of ways um for me this is this is Certainly increasing a lot in in the games and in, in the groups that I run. Uh, Find Familiar is, a, is an extraordinarily common spell. It's a level one spell that you can use. So for me, it's it's something that a lot of players have been getting access to, which means that all of a sudden you've got another element that you have to manage within within a game uh, where a player particularly kind of latches on to um, a non-player character, a familiar, a pet, a companion of of some description. Of course, I play games, a lot of games with kids, so that 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 occurs uh, semi regularly for me. But I'm finding it in adult games too. So in a lot of ways, I'm, I'm kind of looking for for some opinions here. Some how do you use them? Some tips and tricks to use them. Again, I put it out to a, a lot of dungeon masters I know. They've uh, and most of them kind of shared a level of frustration about this. But um, <laughs> I guess over to you guys a little way, a little bit. How familiar are how familiar are you with familiars? How often do these <laughs> co- um, pop up in your games? Uh, any ideas? Any tips and tricks on how to how to manage them better? How to manage them well?
0: Well, so I I will fully admit that um, from a fantasy standpoint, I don't run into haven't run into familiars a lot because I don't do a lot of D and fifth edition. And back in first edition, when I did do a lot of D and D, it was there wasn't a lot to it, to be quite honest with you. Um there was a lot more around hiring hirelings and henchmen yeah. to go into a dungeon with you. And and a lot of that was uh, you know, Gary decided that the game master should run those things for you, um, anything of any sort of power. And so that's how he decided to take care of it. But honestly, in in other genres like um science fiction or super powers, you have that same problem, right? There, you know, there mm-hmm. there can be people who are with you as uh, partners. Um, Obviously we get the sidekick in a superhero game. And so I guess my question really, you know, from a devil's advocate standpoint is what, what is the problem with the familiar? I mean, a lot of people want to use them now, but what, what's, what's the, what's the problem? So we want tips and tricks and we want to do things better, but what's the problem? I don't know, Eric, what, what are, what are the things where you are running into familiars right now? And, or, you know, as a player, what do you think? Uh,
2: Well, I, I mean, I think, we, I think we're going to talk about that a little bit later, right? Um, but um, just, to, just to, to circle back to the uh, main thing with familiars is that, yeah, I, I, I mean, as a player, I'm a big familiar player. <laughs> just, we'll put that up front here. And I think this is why it's an interesting dynamic here. And actually, in both of your games that I play in or games that I've played in with Carl, I've actively had familiars, companions, etc. So I think this is a good time to discuss that uh i mean with you james i've had a familiar i have an i had an owl familiar actually which is an interesting topic with five e's concerns and whether or not i played it differently or you know the reasons i did it weren't the normal case i think um and then for you carl i've had you know i had my resurrected dead grandfather as a zombie and i had like a nano creature that i eventually got um so yeah i personally i often have them i think there absolutely can be issues with it, uh, both if we're do- talking about it from a you know, game-neutral stance, there's, there's a lot of cohesive issues across the board, either mechanically and role-playing-wise. And I think 5e specifically has a lot of issues, which they've been trying to rectify recently more and more, um, at, least for, at least for companions and summons. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as tips go, I, I don't know how much we want to get into tips right now, but I mean, I, I think the main thing for a player... And, and I mean, with 5e, it's an issue, right? Because 5e, I, I think the problem with 5e mainly is that the familiars aren't balanced. And this is the problem with feats in 5e too. If feats aren't balanced at all, at all. And familiars are not balanced at all, right? There's clearly a superior one, which is the owl. And in a lot mm-hmm. of cases, you know, you, you can't really do much with a familiar in combat unless they're an owl. So it's just kind of one of those things that just gets taken a lot. They haven't made more of them. Um uh and I I think so so that's that's a big problem with Five E. Uh I think as a player, you should always have a familiar be part of your backstory. It should be part of or it should narratively tie in. It should be organic. I mean with you, James, you know, my familiar, which was a re we reflavored an owl to be a flying uh a jumping spider, flying gyroscopic uh helicopter con- uh drone, basically. Drone. <laughs> God, Let's call it a drone. a drone. It was a drone. Uh <laughs> who's a quirky little drone. And he was almost essential to my, my backstory as a Cobalt mm. coming up in this, in this you know, a kind of underdog Cobalt. You know, almost, extremely um, essential. And I didn't always risk him in combat. And we, we can talk about that, why we did that. And that's temptation tips from GM. <laughs> so I don't want to – I think we maybe should move on from here, right? But um, yeah, I think I'll the be, GM
1: – Yeah. And Go perhaps on. I should clarify a little bit, you know. So – uh there's, there's some different ways you can play this in terms of a familiar, and I guess I'd like to talk about both of them. The first is this kind of cute addition to your character where you have a pet that could be a little squirrel that you walk around with and you have little conversations with or you've got your little your little favourite turtle or a stray cat that you've picked up along the way from a town. In fact, one of my kids did it a couple of weeks ago. I just want to find a cat because I like cats. Okay, Then it becomes a role-playing thing that's part of the game. But as per any role-playing thing where there are rules around it, people will take that to the extent. And so I guess there's two sides of looking at this. There's that cute story-driven, that's just a nice thing to have. And then there's the tactical, technical, I'm using companions in an effective kind of optimal way in order to make my character more effective uh, generally. And in some ways when we talk about... The owl familiar, in particular, for Fifth Edition Dungeons and Dragons, because it has such a powerful, a powerful owl. Uh, sorry, you guys don't have powerful owls in. It's a a type (laughs) of owl in in Australia. So from our Australian listeners, our powerful owl, insert (laughs) knowing nature (laughs) thing there, Um, with an owl in particular um, in 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, they can enter combat, enter a danger zone and have a fly-by ability, which allows them to fly into danger but then immediately fly out of it with zero consequence. So an owl can come in and, and claw at someone's face and distract them and then fly away without having any chance of... A retaliation, so that's where the owl becomes problematic in some ways. So, in some ways, I guess we're talking about for two of them. To talk a bit about so- Carl's, what's the problem with them? Okay. I guess, uh, I guess for me, why don't we talk about that now? Because I think that lets us then unpack some solutions for both players and and dungeon masters about how to solve them. In my mind, there's four problems with familiars or animal companions that I, that I guess I'd like to, to touch on a little bit. The first one is this idea of you use the the companion as a scout and and this happens so much in in a lot of role-playing games not not just Dungeons and Dragons. I've got a, a call of Cthulhu player who has a, a monkey as an animal companion um, because like an Indiana Jones kind of vibe, you know the monkey the monkey can open up a door, can scout in, can find the bad date, that kind of stuff. okay So for an animal companion they make a fantastic scout. In 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, you can literally see through the eyes of this animal companion. So they can actually scout ahead and the wizard or whoever owns the animal companion can see through their eyes. And so any traps, any threats, any issues will be experienced by the animal companion, but not necessarily by the players. And so for me, that, that creates some issues when you're playing a game. Uh, and the issues oh. for me are twofold. The first one is there's no real risk to the to the, to the group. But importantly, as a dungeon master, you end up kind of running the dungeon twice. You run it kind of when the animal goes through, and then when the party goes through. I'm, I'm not sure if this yeah. is something that either of you have experienced in your games, but for me, it's an it's an issue in terms of in terms of narrative and kind of talking through that.
0: So in um so in like fifth edition or Call of Cthulhu. Is what kind of consequence is there when the familiar is hurt or damaged? Because immediately when you said that, <laughs> first thing I thought as a dungeon master is, well, you've just put your familiar... You know, if, if a player is going to walk down the hallway and fall in a 10-foot pit with spikes and hurt themselves, literally that's what's going to happen to your familiar all by themselves mm-hmm. with no one else around, surrounded by kobolds because there's no one else there and they're going to beat it to a pulp. Problem solved. If there's consequences for losing your familiar you know it takes time well, you know in, in savage world you get stunned and you know there's things that happen there um but then the second the second part running the dungeon twice that's a tough one right i mean that's the same thing if any if somebody's got spells that allow them to look ahead or pass through walls and other people can't and things like that um
1: arcane eye or hacking a hacking a video camera all those kinds yeah, of things. yeah yeah exactly yeah. exactly um
2: yeah, it's, it's, it's the same. Yeah, there there is consequences. They're not that much. I mean, in 5e specifically, they, 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 can't, they, can't take, they can't take any damage. They have one hit point, so they go down instantly. And then it takes basically a spell slot, or you cast it as a ritual, which is 10 minutes or 11 minutes, I guess. And then you need 10 gold pieces worth of specific reagents. Um, which are like incense, and a lot of GMs, you know, it's 5e, so they play it. They might play it fast and loose. Of it's easy to get those or not, and we can talk about that in the solutions part. But so, not the biggest consequence, but can be. I mean, uh, you know, in our in James' game where I had the familiar, I didn't have many, and I guess this could be a, a solution to that. I don't. Ha- I just didn't have an access to a lot of um, the reagents, so I was. Well, I used him in combat sometimes. I didn't risk him a lot. I would let him, you know, just kind of passively due perception um the the scouting thing is an interesting thing because i've experienced that sometimes other times i haven't and like you guys said there's other abilities that do that right and like familiars or something they should be able to have some utility or abilities so i guess i don't know if we want to talk about solutions but i think certainly you know a, a familiar even though i mean with DD it's 100 feet um pathfinder plays it differently with pathfinder it's it's, they're tougher, but if they go down, it's a week of downtime. So there's a time cost that you just won't get a back. Real,
1: uh, yeah, a real consequence. A week yeah. of
2: downtime, yeah. But they're a lot tougher. I mean, they have five hit points per level and they have a little bit better AC. And, but the way those work is it's much more open, which I like, is that you kind of you say what kind of familiar you have and then you give it, there's a whole list of abilities that you can apply to it. And the abilities are either like its own passive abilities or ones that you can get, like getting a single spell slot back or something. So you can really customize how the familiars work. Um, And not a lot of them are just scouts. So again, I think this is, maybe call cthulhu but i think it's a lot of this is a 5e problem as far as that goes because call, you know, of, call
1: of cthulhu has a weird thing with familiars uh, well, yeah. you know, animal companions they call them it's a strange dichotomy it's used in the pulp version of the game and i think directly as a response to bad dates um, i think it's such a pulpy thing to have you know tarzan having his and even the phantom having some kind of uh, animal companions that work with them But there's a specific mechanism in Call of Cthulhu that makes it very difficult. Um, There is a protected attribute mechanism in Call of Cthulhu where each player gets to determine one thing that's sacrosanct that is their safe place for their character. And I guess because it's such a horrific game, you want to have that one thing that you know isn't going to be affected. So, you know, please don't kill my daughter or um, I really love my car, please don't blow up my car. It's kind of the one thing that you get to say, please GM don't mess with because the rest of the game is so horrible and if you dive into animal companion as a major concept for your character what do you think's the one thing that you say please don't kill of my guy because Yeah. Uh, yeah right. so, <laughs> so so kill
2: yeah
1: so for the players that are invested into animal companions there's also this caveat and you can't hurt them if that's all right. So it it makes that whole thing just uh, a, a very very difficult. Um, I've but knocked let- them out. I've had them so that yeah. they'll wake up, you know, hours later but unharmed. But it's still kind of like for both find familiar and animal companions in Call of Cthulhu. So please don't. But there's also the other thing in terms of players get very attached to these creatures. Unlike the hirelings in early edition Dungeons and Dragons, where you're like, "Well, there's a pit there. I guess you go first, Joe." And, um, th- yeah. and if you fall off, well, I'll just buy another one at the end when we go last. Um, when we go next time, players are really emotionally attached to these things. I think they don't mind the fact that they're going to get uh, they're going to get attacked themselves. Please don't kill my, my kitten. And so that, that becomes a little bit tricky, not just in kids' games, I'm going to say. It's an emerging thing happening. Of course. When you, when you kill
2: Godwin, you're a monster. Yeah, for sure. That's uh, right. Yeah. But, it, but, but when I target I, I,
1: Godwin, I'm a monster. I
2: know, but <laughs> that's fine because I, I actually roll with it. And that's, but let's circle back, I think, for some of those solutions you said to that specific problem. I think creating consequences, I think, you know, actually role playing out. Like if you have a wizard who goes into and loses senses, right? And they're looking through the, it's only 100 feet. Uh, things can happen like a large sound or a bright flash of light. Like it, you can interrupt that type of if they're doing the thing where they're using it to scout and then move ahead, scout, move ahead. Have them be you know um, surprised from behind, right? Like move that fight around. Like you can you can kind of doing it a little bit is fine, but once they start to over abuse that. You know, throw some wrenches in there. Have the consequences, like have a trap for them if they're overusing it as a scout, or like I said, have them be ambushed from behind. Or you know, if if the, if the animal's going beyond the hundred feet, have the animal get scared and come back because of something they saw. You know, never give the animal its animal intelligence, right? So it's not going to know. Necess- it's not just going to tell you, oh, there's five guys and one guy's manning a turret there, and blah 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 or whatever, mm. right? Like it, it, role play it out as a big. The animal goes, it comes back, and this is kind of it, you get a sense of this. Of the, and it can't go any farther because of it was scared, or there's a smell, or something. So I think you can definitely make roadblocks as a GM, and you can also provide consequences and throw wrenches in that can kind of disrupt the the kind of double dipping of a of a dungeon exploration. Mm. I think is how I would say for that particular thing.
0: Yeah, I think that I think that plays off of you know what I was talking about. Um, they, they're going to encounter the things that the players would have encountered just by
2: themselves all alone, no one else around, because they're a scout. And I, <laughs> yeah. And James, like you did for, for for like, you know, 10 gold pieces is then a lot. But I think moderating that, while 10 gold pieces is then a lot, it, probably, it may be hard to find those reagents. Like, it's they're just not easy. They're not common, right? So, so, so make part, it hard so, for them to find that. So you so can
0: kind of... of, it, of uh, so yeah. part of it, you spell components and don't hand wave them, is what you're saying.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I guess that's true for some campaigns. If I look at, uh, at some of the classic Dungeons and Dragons one, the Curse of Strads, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, the Fey Touch stuff where you're in the Fey Wall, makes these things hard to obtain. Yeah, abso- absolutely. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, yeah, uh, fair enough. That's, that, so that that's the first one. Uh, uh, yeah, okay, that was like the first side. one. That was the first Of course, this is all <laughs> fun and games when they're exploring a dungeon, but when it all goes down and we're now in a combat. And we have now a battlefield and we've got this extra annoying little bugger that's just kind of (laughs) part of a fight, not part of a fight. If they're an owl, they're doubly annoying because they can fly in and out of a combat. If they're a protected monkey named Dingle, not that I've got one, but that's its name called Dingle but just (laughs) happens to not be able to be killed in Call of Cthulhu and so therefore can go right up to the big bad guy and scratch its face because we don't care about what happens to it. There's another complication here, and I guess this can be expanded out to all animal companions and all summoning spells in a lot of ways, in that these additional NPCs being dropped on the battlefield does cause complication. There's no question. It does a couple of things in my mind. That one player who has it, they're effectively getting twice the turns in a lot of ways. If you think about a a combat and and if you think about their time in the spotlight, um, in Eric's case, potentially four times the turns because of his latest iteration of his Dungeons & Dragons character. But he's he's an outlier. The other one is that the concept of if I now have this extra player in the combat, okay, they might just be niggling. They might be doing something. They might have the extra perceptive ability of seeing the battleground but I'm in a fight for my life as the monster, as the bad guy, as the villain. Yeah. Do I really spend my action to take that thing out? No. Uh, uh, but I've got all these other bigger, tougher things coming at me. But if I don't take it out, it's just going to annoy me every round for an entire battle. Yeah. So at what point do you go, ah, this, there's these things in the battleground that, are, that aren't big threats? but they are constant threats. And how do you manage that? How do you do it so that you're not kind of, you don't just have this omnipresence of annoying NPCs adding to the complexity of an already complicated battle? Yeah, th- I mean, I-
2: yeah, go ahead, Carl.
1: Well, I, I was just going to say, yeah, I think that
0: was one of the, that's a problem, right, is the action economy and the way you're, you've built these encounters are based on, this kind of understanding. And now if you do have somebody pulling up and you've got twice, twice as many characters, even if they were smaller, your action economy, the speed of combat, everything kind of goes downhill. But from, but from a, uh, what does the big bad guy do, right? Or the minions do, it really comes down to how you were talking about. These things are just kind of niggling and getting in your way. But, um, you know, in some games they may not be that powerful, but if they get a hit, they could, you know, with things like exploding dice and Savage Worlds, it could be a big mm. deal. So your 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 bad guy is always constantly making a judgment call. This thing is closer to me now. Those guys aren't. It's not as powerful, but that's what I want to attack. I guess that's it's, it. I really don't like that it changes the action economy. I'm kind of with the goddamn familiars thing because it really it adds a <laughs> lot. You know, when Eric's in my game and he had his um, his grandpa who was the undead soldier that guy was effective and so they literally really had another person who could do significant work that would take somebody's attention yeah and, but i did and, put
2: i did i did put some of my powerpoints into that power oh no and i'm not yeah. saying that he,
0: that he was not a good well-designed interesting character it just was indeed someone who truly was no, formidable sure. yeah. not just yeah. an annoyance right
2: yeah, um, but and that's so, like superhero companion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: So I, the bad guys in that campaign had to make the decision if they were going to go after him or not. Even though taking him out doesn't have that great of a consequence, you know. From a meta, I'd be better off going yeah. after the players because from a meta thought that actually does real damage. If I take out your your grandpa, he can come back later. It, it's kind of a pain now, but it's it's not uh, it's not yeah, fundamental. There's, right? There wasn't a lot
2: of consequences in that
0: for sure. Yeah, yeah um yeah. so but the creature's got to make from a game master you got to make your decisions based on what really is a problem right now and i can't solve the people getting attached to their familiars that's that's on them you know if you're going to put your puppy in danger and have the puppy run up and try to bite somebody if the guy kicks them i i don't know what to tell you you you, <laughs> you told your puppy to go take down yeah. the guy <laughs> you know so
2: i think that's it i think i think a lot of it does depend on the game, right? Um, I mean, like w- we talked a little bit about, you know, Pathfinder does it how it does differently. Pathfinder, you you spend one of your you have three actions in Pathfinder. You spend one of your actions And, and any minion, so familiars or animal companions. Then they they get two actions. So it's kind of you're sacrificing one of your actions to give them two actions, which includes moving. Um, yeah. But then I played other games like uh, Barbarian. Uh, I think it's um, like like Apocalypse Engine or. Uh, Barbarians of Lemuria, I think it's called, and th- their take on that is much more narrative, where you take it as part of your, char- you know, your mechanics, or leveling up stuff. But it kind of gives you more of a, uh, you know, a passive bonus. It's not really an active participant. But when we talk about active participants, I think you guys pretty much hit it on the head. I think if a char- if a player is using their character in combat, it's fair game, right? Completely fair game. I think with kids, I think you know, probably play it a little easier on if they're attacking with it, it's fair game, right? If you're just using it to get the help action, I think generally, you know, mostly try to avoid just directly attacking it. I think the, the thing with GMs here is that, like you guys were talking, but really, it, even if it's annoying you as a GM, only target it if it, you know, if it would make sense for that NPC to do it. You know, killing off the familiar because you're annoyed as a GM isn't a good way to do it. If you're annoyed as it, for a GM and it's causing disruptions, Talk to the player about it separately after the game. Oh, yeah, that not don't, don't in game, you know, murder the, the, the thing because even if it is an issue for, you know, the game and the party, like, don't do it that way. And, o- always kind of role play it out, right? And Correct Eric gives them good, them good advice.
0: Eric gives good advice. Always have co- adult conversations and good conversations <laughs> yeah. with your players. <laughs> this was honestly? brought to you by Eric,
2: the advice column. <laughs> Honestly, that's kind of the answer to a lot of things is just be, people need to be more open and communicative and honest, you know, with things like that. But I yeah. think that's, you know, never take it out of them in character if it doesn't make sense. But like you said, James, you know, they, well, the, while the big bad might not directly attack it, it might throw a fireball that would hit maybe only one of the players in that thing because it's annoying them, right, eventually. Yeah. Because it's annoying. So I think you can play it in a way where – um, and, you know, you know, let them do – with a familiar you might let them do a reflex if they're flying in the air maybe them do a reflex even if even it doesn't have you know evasion give it evasion for that or something just like if it, if it can you know it doesn't have good dodge stats so let it, it do, let it have yeah. a chance to like survive because it only has one hit point um so that's personally how i see it should be done but you know i think generally yeah, I, yeah, I think I, we all i
1: tend to it. agree i i i run it a little bit with with two ways um in terms of when a, a, a an npc or a non-combatant an evil guy sees a familiar. There's two, there's three types of, of bad guys when it comes to familiar for me. The first one is a spellcaster who knows about them, that knows what they do, yeah. knows how annoying they can be. Another wizard that might have one. And in my mind, they just get rid of them. They're like, yep, that's it. Cantrip, firebolt, pff, gone. Like, they'll just <laughs> use that one action because they understand what the issue is. So they go, yep, that's a problem. I'm getting rid of that. That's over. The normal monster, the gnoll and the orc, they don't care. Like that's not a problem. I don't care about it. Even the dragon, I don't care about it. That's puny. The other one that I like to use, which is pretty funny, is the low intelligence monster. It's the ogre yeah. going, ah, oh, annoying. Oh, that's annoying. I'm gonna. They get distracted by it and then, uh, then fixated on it. So, but that becomes a narrative thing where, yeah, and particularly with kids, they think that's hilarious. That the 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 the, the, the big lumbering. Dumb hill giants not fighting them anymore. They're chasing the, the <laughs> dumb birdie that's in their face and kind of making a fool of themselves. So uh, I find that's kind of the three ways to insert myself into the non-player character with those.
0: So, ones. so if you got three, two wizards with familiars, it's really it's a Pokemon thing. They, you need to pull them out and have their own little battle.
2: They're
0: familiars <laughs> oh, against each other. Oh,
1: I'm totally <laughs> gonna use that. That's great. Uh, that's, that's
0: funny.
2: I think Jake <laughs> what you say- said about <clears> the, the stupid orc. I think if you are going to have your NPC like attack the familiar. I think another good thing is to have, you know, role play that out, that it starts to, you know, I see, like they do it too many times, have that arc, you know, state that it like, oh, it starts to look at the familiar with a look of annoyance, kind of giving yeah. them the hint that if you do it again, it's going to attack it, you know, like, so always have that role playing inform your, your kind of what your character is going to do if it's going to attack a familiar.
1: And and of course, this escalates in a lot of ways. So yes, familiars is one example, but there are yeah. summoning spells that allow you to summon creatures. There's, right. you know, you you have your, uh, you know, uh, you can have demons that do your bidding. There are rangers will get beast companions if they choose to do so. That holds that that whole kind of ranger plus wolf kind of duo, um, and these things can escalate. I I, I've, I had an experience at the end of Rhyme of the Frost Maiden last year where just because everyone knew it was the final showdown with the boss and that we weren't going to continue on the, those characters after their campaign, they knew that this was their last chance. And so they all my players, there were six players summoned 19 extra non-player creatures onto the battlefield to kind of fight against the the final boss which turned out this this kind of nice you've got six turns bad guys got one turn you guys have 25 turns <laughs> bad guy has one turn and look right of the frost maiden wasn't so bad i just summoned a, a massive sleet storm and and wiped yeah. out half the battlefield <laughs> which was horrific for the players but you know these things can get out of control in 5th edition particularly there's so many things that can bring things onto the battlefield for you so it does become a problem in other games too i mean and i think 5e
2: now is going the way that pathfinder 2e does it um where a lot of the the summons are just going to be like it's just one creature yeah. that has like variable things you can have one creature like that at the time um and so that's what i think 5e is going i think for a gm if you are experiencing these issues in your game again have a discussion with the players and put a limit, like put a limit per player. You can have two things. That's it. Like that is perfectly reasonable and fine because it does, you know, like you said, it slows down combat. It slows down game. It slows down, uh, a lot of things. It can be disruptive. So I think, I think it's perfectly reasonable to have those limits if you need it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I absolutely have home rules about home, about how these things should, should be managed. Um, in, and in some ways for one of the side issues of this of course is is players can find other players can find this exceptionally boring you know um yeah, yeah. Where, where you're sitting there and you're waiting for someone to have their turn and their other thing and, and 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 in some ways for for me with as a as a kind of solution is if you are a player that uses these extra companions there's two pieces of advice in some ways it's watch read the room a bit if everyone's getting a bit frustrated (laughs) with the fact that you're that you're taking a long time and you know just you need to be a little bit cognizant of the time that you're taking up at the table the other thing is is you don't have to use these things every combat you don't have to use these things every round really think about is this familiar is this companion adding anything to the encounter or to the combat if you don't actually need the help action. Or you don't need to, you know. There's a lot of. So, what's your companion doing? Oh, um, oh, I'm not sure if that, oh, Um, if you if you end up in one of those yeah. situations where you don't actually know for certain what this NPC will do with you in that fight, you don't have to use them. They can. Oh, they stay by my side, and we just kind of, you know, will we'll, we'll, You don't need to use them every round. Is kind of some advice. So often there's a lot of you know, deliberations about what it is you're going to use these guys for. And if you don't really know what you're using them for, don't use them. And that, and I, that
0: behavior is going to be driven a little bit like you, like we were talking about. If having them in combat constantly annoying the ogre causes consequences, they will more likely, if this is not important for me, I'm going to have my buddy stick with me and not go out there in the middle of combat because I know it can be dangerous you know, for them because the DM- game master has demonstrated it can be dangerous for them. And so now the player again, goes back to consequence. If there's no consequence, they are just going to keep doing the same thing over and over again yeah. because there's no consequences. Um,
2: so yeah. Okay.
0: It makes and a lot I think of sense. The, so that's a, me,
2: And that's a good point, go uh, James. Cause I, and I think about maybe we can bring up like me in, in your game or something like we mm-hmm. went the whole gamut of this. I had an Al familiar, right? I, or I've had one. Um, and like with him, you know, you have those consequences in place. I didn't always use it. Uh, oftentimes, I'd just be like, "He's up, just he's up there. If anybody tries to surprise us, that's what he's looking for. So I might, I, I like, I have his fallback thing of what he would do of being like a drone and just being like, "He's up there." You know, we can skip his turns if we need. Like he's just he's just looking for other things, and then we would move yeah. on. And then you would have him roll or ask me to roll for him if he needed to. So I think that is a really good piece of advice. Is and then just have your fallback thing that they do you know, which often is probably like, look out for trouble or, you know, uh, state, you know, something like that, or, or bring a message to somebody or something. So. Um, or
1: stand in the doorway and just, and, 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 defend the door. Yeah. Which and, I did, just keep, which I I did last like, session yeah. with you. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And so, in a lot of ways it is, it, it, the onus is then put on the player, have a plan for what you're going to do with them and kind of, like I mean, the greatest piece of advice any in any, any role playing game is when it comes up to your turn, know what you're going to do before you they say it's your turn. I mean, but incorporate that into it so that you can say, well, I'm going to do this, and my is going to do that, and just kind of make it as fast and painless and easy and streamlined as you can. Because uh, yeah, it, it but, it's 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 boring and it's lame when when it when it sucks up too much time well, and too much energy on the in the table.
0: I think Eric hit an interesting point when he talked about his creature was just flying around. And he just said, "Well, they're just going to fly around looking for stuff." Is that something you can work yep. with players with in different games and say, you know, is there something your familiars always doing? So when it comes to their turn, it's already understood that, you know, they're they're going to be finding the closest extra guy and nibbling on them, mm-hmm. and so you don't have to. You just it happens, and we roll. You roll at the same time. You're rolling yours, and you move on. Um, great so advice. That's, Absolutely so good great idea.
1: advice. Yep.
2: Yeah, and that's what like it was other games game I talked about, or they just are a narrative thing or they're a passive benefit that you they just kind of do this and they're not an active participant. And I think you can apply that to games where they are active participants. So yeah.
1: And I will say, look, and this is a fifth edition specific thing too. One thing that that I've only now just, and, and, and honestly, the last game that we played together, Eric, it, it just solidified this in my mind. Uh-huh. Shifting familiars so they don't have their own initiative, but they also, but they go either before or after their their controller. Yes. I think easier. we'll stream like <laughs> this a lot more. Um, one, I'm I'm guilty all the time of missing familiars turns in combat because yeah. in my mind, I don't care. Like it's like, whatever, it's just that little <laughs> annoying thing. right? Um, and so having them, having it all part of the same players turn all at the same time, but they can choose whether it's before the wizard acts or after the wizard acts. Yeah. I think, I think it's, and it's a little a bit stronger,
2: idea. but it's so much more streamlines that you, you should just let, the, yeah, I totally agree with that. That's how I rule it. Um, are we talking more about player stuff or did you want to move on to a different subject? Well,
1: say- well for me, yeah. I mean, I guess, uh, I, 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 let's move on. I mean, they're, they're all the things that are wrong, wrong. with them <laughs> and they're, and, and, and they they are many <laughs> and varied. Uh, I, I, and look, I, I'm piling it on a bit, but, uh, i i have a love hate relationship with my with my players and my with not with with, with my players that's that sounds awful i have a love hate relationship with my players familiars um, sounds like a hate
0: hate uh, really to be honest with you but yeah. 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 okay it's just mostly but, hate. Uh, hate. but
1: uh but one thing i do love about them when they're done well and uh is storytelling i mean it's if, if you can come up with a wonderful personality or if you can come up with a wonderful bit about your familiar and use it judiciously and and have it part of the, of the, of the drama, it's really amazing when, when it happens. Uh, animals and pets can be really powerful emotional tools. Um, in, as, a, as a comfort to a character that might be going through sorrow or as a comedic uh, breaking of, of, a, of, a, of a mood if it's done really, really well. And I guess, you know, talking player-wise, but even as a storyteller, you know, yes, they, they, this, they add complications to the mechanics of the game. How do you think that they work in terms of the narrative element of the game? What do they bring and, you know, what are some, what are some tips that you might be able to use there?
2: I mean, I absolutely... How do you make them cool? The- I absolutely love <laughs> their narrative component. And I, just touching back quickly, when we, we, I know you, I think you met, maybe mentioned it. I know it's in the notes about optimization versus narrative. I don't think those are mutually exclusive, like personally. I mean, and this is something that me and Carl have talked about before about optimizing versus min-maxing, right? I think that you, how I play at least, I always like to have my character concept and then optimize it to that try to make like the best iteration of that character concept. I could kind of come at it from two angles and I, I feel that way with familiars or animal companions too. And
1: um,
2: uh, you know, with, with, I mean, just talking about Bisbo and Godwin, right. Bisbo again, like, I, I think a tip for players and, first and, of and all, we should, we
1: should, we yeah. should explain. Bisbo is Eric's uh, kobold artificer who yeah. makes these, these, these fantastic inventions that, that torture me uh, weekly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, I think, I think, I mean, first as a GM, you know, encourage players to, to wrap it into their narrative because familiars really do – really, really do help with player immersion and help with a a player, um, you know, buying into the world. Like, they Mm -hmm. emotionally are going to be more invested in the world because they have these connections that are real. You know, often when we talk about, like, when we write our backgrounds and we have, like, oh, an uncle or something that we just write down, we really don't have an emotional component with that uncle because we haven't interacted with them. They're really not three-dimensional characters. A familiar that you've developed that has a personality becomes a three-dimensional character and an emotional investment for the you and the party. I mean, I mean, Godwin, I really, I feel like I don't want to be talking, you know, I feel like he became kind of the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the, uh, you know, the, the token, like mascot, the mascot, yeah, mascot. Thank you. The mascot of that party. I, I I mean, I felt like he became that way. Um, yeah. And part of it was like, you know, I think with familiars, you should have them put them into your background. And this also goes to our role-playing episode, um, give them, you know, give them a flaw, give them a dream. Like they can have the same, even if they have lesser intelligence, they can have those breadth of things and then their quirks and something like, and again, it's going to evolve as you play. Like Godwin, my little scout, I think kind of naturally evolved, partly because of the character artwork. Um, he evolved that his thing is sewing and that became like mm. a big thing where he would fix things or want to build things. And then that actually further inspired me when i when my character got ritual casting that he I incorporated his sewing, that the whole reason that he could sew was because originally I built him to be to magically sew cut like these magical kind of you know temporary constructs those are my ritual spells he would actually yes. you know sew the alarm or sew the invisible like a 3d printing yeah exactly
1: like a 3d printing, the, yeah, the exactly, like a 3D printing <laughs> magical thread
2: and that was yeah. completely just you know me and james kind of role-playing bouncing each other back my background story and interacting with the world so they be, they can become this really pivotal pivotal three-dimensional thing um uh so i think yeah it it That's a big thing for me is give them give them the personality, give them their flaws, give them their dreams. And as a GM, you should encourage that. Uh, Carl, any suggestions for you? Well, I.
0: I have not played a lot of characters that had familiars, but I think if I was to have a companion or something like that, I would definitely want to make them unique and interesting and not just uh, set dressing. Right, I, I feel like I have when I have played with some folks—not not you, Eric—but I have played in the past. Again, familiars were just their additional attack, so now I have another attack, and um, yeah. I can do some stuff. And oh, great! It's—I think it'd be for myself. I'd want to have them to be a three-dimensional, like you said, but with flaws. And yeah, they're going to run away when certain things happen, even though that would not be optimal for my character, just because you know they're. they're it's you know it's a puppy puppy's not going to run and try to chase that guy puppy's going to run away the other way or snuggle up with somebody who looks cute even though they're supposed to be the bad guy i don't know it'd be kind of interesting so as a player i probably would do that but honestly i don't i don't spend a lot of time worrying about getting extra people to go along with me i i think i should i think uh i don't play enough but i think i should hearing about godwin or or whatever the <laughs> guy's name was or whatever
2: <laughs> um i think i want one of those come on i want one of those yeah he's a fun i i think the inverse of this though just to, as like a red flag for this is that you don't want to overuse it and i'm not talking about combat i'm talking about role-playing there is a fine line, and you guys can tell me if I was been successful or not with these characters.
1: But you don't want to oh, overuse. Oh, complete, he's completely dominated our story. It's the godwin well, Tales. So, mean, are you like, talking with yourself? Were you talking to yourself? Is that well? No, going that's, on?
2: that's 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 a second thing too. Is that be very very careful with speech. Now, different games have different abilities to give them speech. Personally, yeah. I do not like giving my thing speech at all because you get yeah. into those weird situations with talking to yourself or having the GM talk, then they don't do it properly and how you envisioned it. And it's just too much. You can do it, but you have to be very careful. If they do speak, have them speak. Not that much. I think that is always the good thing to fall on. Um, With Godwin. I basically have him. He's like a droid from star Wars. So he makes beeps and twirls. I can sort of understand him. And I make, I mainly have him emote. I gave him like eyes that he can oscillate or like a, like a aperture eyes that he can kind of use to emote things. And that's how he communicates. So I think that's that's a really, really big uh, line to, to, to draw is, is, is having him speak is something you should really consider. Like Pathfinder has the ability to maybe give them just the ability to speak. And that's something you definitely want to, you know, is it cool with the party? Because you have to really hold it back when they speak. Um, and if you're having issues with how, you know, again, if you're having issues with it, if the party's having issues, if the GM's doing stuff to it, talk to them. Because <laughs> you can usually work something out. Um, Eric has advice. I, I, Have those adult <laughs> conversations. Right. Talk I, 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 to each I,
0: I, 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 other. Advice. I think we could <laughs> just that's say
2: it's often lacking though. I mean it's often lacking. No, no, lacking, it's absolutely you know? right.
0: I'm not I'm not yeah. joking with you. That is awesome yeah, advice. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. why I'm keep calling it out. So uh,
1: some of the uh some of the times sorry, some of the best times that I've seen familiars used. And it's really interesting. It's um and this is some advice for some dungeon masters too about how you might include these creatures within your within your game. I, I remember the names of characters familiars which is an important thing. If if a dungeon master can remember the names of a, of a players familiars then both you and the the players probably done it right. Yeah, so I've got Godwin and Phineas and Digby and Nibbles and Snowy, kind of the five top of brain things that have, of of familiars that have worked really really well. The one effective thing I've I think I do when I when I run Dn a uh, DM familiars is have the world react to the familiar in oh, yeah. a role-playing sense, not necessarily a combat sense. So Digby, the monkey that can't be killed, is set in the nineteen late nineteen twenties, and they're, they're they're globe-trotting players. And so uh, she's a the, the player character that owns owns Digby is a is a burglar, a cat burglar, a jewel thief. But by day, it's just kind of this glamorous girl that just walks around in fur coats and, and that kind of stuff. And the world is constantly amazed going, uh, to her, no matter where she goes. Is that a monkey? <laughs> is kind of the opening thing that most non-player characters will say to this player every time that she interacts in a social scene because a quite rich-looking woman with a with a monkey on her shoulder is extraordinary in 1926 New York or uh, Egypt even or anywhere around the world. And so it drives the, the, the character and, and it's a reminder to the player of Yes, this is a big part of your character and this is an obvious part. Goblin is, for example, because we run a game in the Feywild, a robotic drone in the Feywild is a source of extraordinary disruption. People want it. Like, oh, yeah. my God, yeah. that is the most valuable object that I've ever seen. I want to steal that. That was a big issue. It becomes a, a fixated <laughs> thing where it's like, would you look at this thing? I, I, you know, Nobles must possess Godwin. Drives the story where protecting or concealing Godwin becomes a thing because otherwise they're going to want to steal it from me, which is really interesting. Uh, I had a, a wizard play a character called Phineas who uh, was a bat but a spiritual kind of fading into the, into the, the spirit world that in the middle of a Curse of Strahd game, people were very superstitious about this creature. And, but he didn't downplay it. And Phineas had its own personalities where it'll like nibble someone's ear and things, which freaked people out. So make sure that as a player, you try and include the narrative elements of it. But as a dungeon master, have the world react to it. Often when the player doesn't expect that to be a thing, um you know we walk into the tavern well is that a bloody robot is uh, have a drive it and and upend the narrative in some ways just so that there's an extra consequence there and drive the story a bit
0: you, you robot kinds aren't allowed in these in this here bar you got to be outside <laughs> exactly.
1: ah, That's right. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> we've got an open carry familiar policy here <gasps> <Yeah. let's laughs> like, right to review
2: service no shirt or no shirt no shoes robot parts no service oh yeah,
1: no shirt yeah, no that, shoes no familiars oh my god i can put that up in oh around no my why world. did they give you this no <laughs>
2: uh yeah that's a really good point james i actually had the same thing written down too is that use them as a narrative device and yeah what you did was excellent it was really really cool to have them and then push my character to the kind of limits of being like, well, what, what am I going to now do to like, we, the whole party was actually like, what are we going to do to get him out of this? We don't want this to happen because he became this kind of beloved figure. Um, so that was a really cool, really, really, really cool and rewarding experience. Um, yeah. And I mean, and, and if, if, if a player's open to it, you know, maybe, again, talk to him about it beforehand, but maybe have them be like, I want to kidnap your familiar. Like that started adventure. Right. So I think there's a lot of things you can do with familiars <laughs> more than just have them be a mechanical thing. But I just want to touch one thing is that it's okay for them to be a mechanical thing too, because you know, it five e at least is right. It, it's, it's a very mechanical game. It's, it's, it's based on uh, tabletop like war gaming. So there is a lot of their systems compared to other games is very mechanical is very, you know, these stats and, and a familiar, like it, given the option it's you, you should never make a player feel bad for taking an option if it's an issue that's something separate but you should never make them feel bad because this is something the game is providing you know what i mean like these are this is an option that's available to wizards as part of their kit so you know it, like a ro- like a, an arcane trickster rogue right is probably going to want a familiar if there's no front line because how else are they going to get sneak attack <laughs> you yes. know what i mean so it, it it's a thing that's there and obviously unbalanced in 5e but Um, I think there's there's things you can even do with 5e, like, like, you know, give the flyby ability to other things or take it away from owl and give them something else or add in new familiars that have interesting kind of things. I think you you can do a lot with that too.
1: And okay. and there are resources out there, uh, yeah. maybe not official ones, but there's a, a heap of third party resources with much more expanded rules and, and things for for me. It's absolutely, um, and and I often like that. Go, going back a bit about your speaking parts for, for mm-hmm. NPCs and what <clears throat> whether you're it and whether you don't. My rule is is the Dungeon Master speaks for any NPC, even a player led NPC. Um, and it allows for some fun. Then it allows, So if you're if you're using your retainer, your your trusty chauffeur, or, or something in a in a more modern game, your Alfred, you get yeah. you get to dictate what they do. But Alfred can can advise, but also can can push back a little bit. I've got a fantastic warlock with a very wise cracking quasit. That, that just argues back to him on any command. <laughs> I need you to do this. Well yeah. why would I do why would I want to do that? You know, in this kind of obnoxious New Yorker stand up argument, which becomes part of that character fun of that character because he was being he was playing a really kind of emo like broody warlock and I I just went, no, I'm gonna change that <laughs> a bit and have a familiar that talks back to you and you have these horrendous arguments all the time, which is good fun.
0: Definitely, definitely. You've seen that in a lot of good TV and shows where the uh, the little companion is not just uh, there to they're there to
2: cause problems. Beyond, yeah, they're not your slave. They they have their own personality. Yep. They have their own.
1: Yep. Uh, it's a big agent. Disney thing, isn't it? It's the Mulan dragon or the yeah, yep, or the yep. Aladdin genie. You, you make you make the the extra one bigger than life for sure. <laughs> That's it. All right. So, what do you uh,
0: you think? Do you guys have any uh, last thoughts? Uh, good conversation so far.
1: Sounds good? All right. Sounds good. Oh, look, look. I, I might just reiterate. I guess some of the big ones is give them personalities. Add them to the narrative. If they're not adding anything, particularly in combat, don't feel like you have to use them all the time. And if you do control more than one character, be nice to your other players, be nice to your dungeon master, and be quick. Make those decisions quicker and, and kind of don't drag down the game. They're my kind of last little bits, really.
0: Oh, excellent. Um, nice, nicely summarized. Appreciate that. Uh, so, all right. Hey, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. I hope you got something out of it. And uh, remember to drop by MasteringTheRPG.com, all one word, and learn more about the projects and the team here that's uh, been talking at you. Um, and if you like the show, please uh, give a good review. I, I would say you're just review, but please give a good review at the podcatcher of your choice. <laughs> Um, We are on Apple, Google and Spotify now, so you can pretty much catch us on all the popular stuff. Uh, So thank you much. And um, thank you guys. Another great conversation. And we'll catch you guys next time.